seated. Let me invite you this morning to find your sermon notes there in your bulletin. It looks kind of like this. You can follow along, fill in the blanks. More importantly, talk about it later with your family, live out the message this week. So let me have a show of hands here. How many of you would agree with me that life can be difficult? Life can be hard. There are challenges or trials or tribulations. Great quote here in your notes. Some people say that life is like an ice cream cone. I think it's like a chocolate ice cream cone when you are wearing a white shirt. The moment that you think you have it licked, it drips on you, right? I don't know how many white shirts that I have ruined over the years because of that chocolate ice cream cone. That's kind of like life. We all have regrets. We all make mistakes. Things don't always go according to plan. I want to give you three stories this morning, three stories about regret. Now, these are not my stories, but I can relate to them. I can resonate with them. Maybe you can, too. So there was a guy who talked about his grandfather. He said that every morning for a full decade, his grandfather would wake up at 7 a.m. He would go on his morning walk. He would pick a wild flower, and then he would bring it to his wife, the man's grandmother. It can't be doing that again. Where's, what's the, what's the, we had a, we had a bad week last week with the microphone, so. All right, so he walks every morning. He picks that wild flower, and he takes it to the grandmother, his wife. So one morning, this, this young man decides that he's going to go with his grandpa so that he can deliver the flower to grandma as well. And so they stop then at the grandmother's gravestone. And there they place the flower on her grave. And then the grandfather turns to his grandson and he says, you know, I wish that I would have done this when she was alive. He loved flowers so much. Regret? Or how about the woman who had a great friend all the way through high school and college? They were the best of buddies. They did everything together. They talked about everything. They shared everything. But then they had a terrible falling out. They exchanged very harsh and violent words with each other. And so they had silence for a full 10 years. And then at their high school reunion, they got back together and they... They acknowledged that the whole thing was just over some guy who was now irrelevant in their life. They didn't even know who he was anymore, and they cried and they hugged each other, and they regretted those 10 years that they had lost. Or how about this? A, a young lady, she gets a call from the hospital. Her childhood friend is almost dying because she had attempted suicide. And she remembers all those times when they would meet together and her friend would sit so quietly and she would listen to her, her petty complaints about all of her tiny problems. And she remembered that she never even once asked her friend how she was doing because she just assumed that she just had her life together. Right? We all have them. We all make mistakes. We all have failures. As we take a look this morning at the, the event in Simon Peter's life, when he is restored to discipleship, he is there out fishing in the Sea of Galilee. We are reminded of the time three years earlier at the very beginning 
of Jesus' ministry, when he calls those first disciples, and they're all in the boat, and they haven't caught anything, and Jesus says, how about throwing the net on the other side? And so they do, and they, they catch so many fish that the, that the boats are about to sink. Now Jesus has risen from the grave. Peter and all the disciples have spent three years in ministry with him. They've seen all the miracles. They've seen the healing, even raising people from the grave. They've seen the message. They've heard the message of grace and forgiveness. And yet here is Peter still hurting over the fact that he had denied the Lord three times. He doesn't know what to do, and so he reverts back as we so often do when we feel isolated from God or from the church. We revert back to what we know. And so Peter, after denying the Lord, goes back to fishing. I think back to Adam in the, in the very beginning of the Bible when, when he had first sinned. After eating the forbidden fruit, what does he do? He and Eve, they go into hiding. They don't want the Lord to see them or Jonah. God calls Jonah to, to preach to the people at Nineveh. But instead, he goes the other direction and he, and he runs away until finally he is in the belly of the whale. Or maybe the prodigal son, after receiving the inheritance, he goes and squanders it all. And he runs away and he's so humiliated and ashamed that he that he goes and eats with the pig. I've often wondered when, when people leave the church, why it is, even if it's just for a time. Now, I used to think it was, it was something that I had done. And you know what? Sometimes it was, because we do that, don't we? In families, we sometimes hurt each other. We sometimes say things. Well, sometimes it is me. Sometimes it is the church. But sometimes it was the people as well. Sometimes it's you. And now let me kind of paint a scenario here, and I know this doesn't cover everyone, but so often, especially when people are new in the faith, they go through our class, our God Connects class, or our new member class, and they, they learn all the basics of the faith, and they're so excited. They have this joy in their heart that they never had before. They know God's grace. They know his forgiveness. They know his love. They know the plan for eternal salvation. But then they find out that this is a lot harder than what it first looked. It's one thing to say that I love Jesus. It's another to practice it, isn't it? It's another to, to live. It's one thing to come to church on Sunday. It's another to, to live it out for the rest of the week. And so it gets to be overwhelming. It gets to be too much. Or they find that their life and their, their profession of faith are no longer congruent. An example, I had a, a friend of mine who's a pastor tell me there was a woman in his church. And she was there every Sunday listening to him preach, and then, well, she was gone for a number of months. So he called her and asked what the problem was. And she said, well, you know, I listen to you preach every Sunday, and then I was sleeping with my boss on Thursday. And I knew that wasn't right, so I did what was easiest, and I just stopped going to church. This morning, I want you all to know that we are not alone in our sinfulness, regardless of what it is. Whether we've eaten the forbidden fruit, whether we have run away from God's calling to serve, whether we have not been regular in our worship, whether we have said things that we regret, None of us is alone. 
in our sinfulness. The Bible says, and Paul writes, all have sinned. Every single one of us, we have all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Point to the person next to you and say, there is no one righteous, not even you. Can you do that? There is no one righteous, not even you, (laughs) not even me. All of us, we're like sheep, aren't we? We've all gone astray. At one time or another, each and every one of us, we've turned to our own way. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the question is, why do we do these things? We know better. Why do we have regrets? Why do we make mistakes? Why do we sometimes feel like that failure? Well, there's as many reasons as every single one of you, but there are three that seem to be common to just about everybody. Certainly common to Peter as well. First of all, there is this thing called power that intoxicates us. Now, Peter, he's a natural-born leader. He's the one who's always first. He's the impetuous one. He's the one who jumped into the water and swam after Jesus when he saw him there on the shore. Sometimes we think that it's our weaknesses that are the problem, that the devil exploits our weaknesses, and that's, that's what trips us up. But just as often, it's our strength. Peter's boldness, his aggressiveness, his impetuousness, that's what gets him into trouble. Or maybe it's the pride that blinds us. Remember there at the the first charcoal fire in front of Caiaphas' house when Jesus is on trial? And there is, is Peter, and he denies the Lord not once, but twice, but three times, and then with an oath. Just before that, when they were in the upper room on Monday, Thursday, as they were sharing the holy meal together, Jesus says, one of you, yep, one of you, you're going to betray me. And Peter says, not me. It will not be me. Surely not I, Lord. Even if all the rest of these guys, even if they betray me, even if they deny you, I never will. I will first die before I do that. Our pride, thinking that we're better than others, often betrays us. And then, of course, there's pressure, temptation. Peter there, as he is approached by this woman, hey, I, I, I think I recognize you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're one of them, aren't you? You're one of the disciples. No, no, not me. I don't even know the man. No, really, your, 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 your accent. You're a Galilean. It betrays you. No, no, I don't don't even know the man. Now, the pressure builds up. And he he denies the Lord, finally, with an oath. Now, some would say that there is a woman behind all of this, but but Peter knows darn well that he is responsible. Sounds kind of like a country song there. Anybody want to break out? pressure, the temptation. It's always with us, temptation, the world, the allure, our own sinful flesh, and sometimes it gets to be too much. 
So we know that failure is certain. We're going to make mistakes. But we also need to know that just as much as the Bible reminds us over and over that we are sinners, it also tells us that salvation is available, that grace is available. The whole story of the Bible, it's a salvation story. God's people mess up, they sin, they fall away, they go the wrong direction. And, and God is always running after us. He's always looking after the sheep. He's always wanting to bring us back. Forgiveness is always there, that, that great and wonderful passage. God so loved the world. Fill your own name in there. God loved you that he gave up his only son. And why? Because you are worth it. So just like before, I wanted you to point to someone and say, you're not righteous, point to that same person and say, you are worth it. Can you do that? You are worth it. You are worth, you are worth God sending his son to the cross. You are worth the 40 lashes. You are worth the crown of thorns. You are worth the nails in the hands and the feet. You are, you are worth the loss of blood. You are worth the dehydration. You are worth the pain and the suffering and the agony. You are worth it. God would die for you. Even when you sin, even when you keep on sinning, even when power intoxicates you, even when pride blinds you, even when the pressure gets to be too much, even if you have left the church, even if you haven't served, even if you haven't used your ability. Because you see, where sin abounds, grace super abounds. And why? Because that's God's character. God's character is, is love. God is love. Now, grace does not correct all of our faults no more than God's grace is going to make you, if you're an adult at five feet, certainly grow to six feet when you become a Christian. God's grace is not going to cure all the cancer. God's grace is not going to even make you do the right thing the next time. But this is what God's grace does. It, it reaches out to you like God extends his hand in kindness. God reaches out to you even after you have messed up. And he says, I love you anyway. I love you anyway in spite of the sin. And my son's blood has covered it all up. Let's start over again. There's a great story about Max Licato, the Christian writer and pastor. Now, years ago when his daughter Jenna, who's an adult now, she was four years old, she had this bad habit. Maybe some of your kids have this. Any of your kids write on the wall with a crayon? Mine did that. Jenna would do that repeatedly, and, well, she would be disciplined afterward, and so she does it again, and, well, Max wants to be a wise father, and so he scoops her up in his arms, and she's crying, her tears, and she is sobbing, and he says to her, Jenna, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. She goes, I know. 
And he says to her, you know, what does daddy do when you draw on the walls with the crayon? She goes, daddy spanks me. And he goes, all right, what should daddy do now? And in that little four-year-old voice, she says, daddy, no spank. Daddy just loved me. (laughs) Daddy just loved me. And that's what Jesus did for Peter. He didn't scold him. He didn't say, I told you so. He just loved him. And he built a breakfast fire for him. And he made some fish and some bread, and he invited him in. And then not only did he offer this forgiveness, but he restored him not only to his original position of disciple, but he even elevated him to the position of apostle. You see, God not only forgives in his grace, but then he invites us to become the person that he always has intended us to be. And so we have this this whole litany, this dialogue between Peter and Jesus. And over and over he says, Simon, son of John, just as he addressed him three years earlier when he first called him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know that I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know that I do. You, you, You know everything. You know that I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And by the third time, Peter is hurt that Jesus keeps asking, do you love me? Lord, you know that I do. You know that I, you know everything. You know that if I could have done this over, I wouldn't wouldn't have denied you. I would have stood up for you. And I imagine by the third time, the smoke maybe shifts a little bit. And Simon is, is brought back to that time just a few weeks earlier, when he's sitting around the campfire and he denies the Lord, or maybe it was the coals that shifted and and there was a little bit of a spark. Or maybe, I don't know, if this were Hollywood, I would have made the rooster crow again, wouldn't you? And then Peter gets it, it clicks in his mind, just as he had denied the Lord three times. Now the Lord not only forgives, but he restores him three times, three acts of denial and three acts of redemption. And then the invitation, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter, feed the church, share the gospel, grow these people into the disciples that my Father in heaven knows that they can be. This morning, as you hear this message, I want you to think in your own mind. Who are the sheep that God wants you to feed? Who are the little ones, the little lambs, that need nurture and care? What new ministry here at Emmanuel has God uniquely gifted you in order to serve or even to lead so that people might grow in their faith and maturity as well. As we close this morning, just as we began with with three stories of regret, I want to close as well 
Again, not my story, but maybe one that, along with me, you can relate to. There was a man, he was a brother-in-law, his name was Bob. Bob dropped out of college after a year. He was looking for a job, and so back then, the, the telephone company was hiring. And it was Bob's job to, to put up those, those big poles and then to, to string the cable across the land. And he did that, and he was good at it. It, it didn't make a whole lot of money, but it, it was living. Now, he wasn't passionate about it. And finally, toward the end of his career, Bob has a heart attack. And in that state, when you're, when you're vulnerable, when you're reflecting on life, when you're, when you're looking back at what might have been, Bob recalled his true passion, and that was to restore things. About that time, his grandparents were selling their house, and they had all this antique furniture. And he noticed that, and he had a, he, he had a, a natural knack for, for fixing things, and so he restored the furniture, and then, and then he sold it, and he made a whole lot of money doing it. And then there was this old car. It was a, I don't know what this is, but it was a 1933 Auburn. Maybe you do. It was there in the barn. Hadn't run for 40 years. And Bob fixed it up. And then he, he took it to all these antique car shows across the country. He loved doing it. It was a symbol of his own restoration. So, my friends, if, if people, put that back up there. <laughs> if people can restore old cars and beat up furniture, making them look like new, can you even begin to imagine what God can do? Take a look there at the very bottom right-hand corner of your note. It says this, if it is true, and it is, that the church is not a museum for saints, if it's true that it's a hospital for sinners, it's a place for people who have messed up, fallen short, done wrong, need help. And it is true. For we all have regrets. We've all made mistakes. We have all been a failure at one time or another. We, none of us have completely followed the call of God. This church is a, is a place for people like you and me. People who are messed up. People who are sinners people who need to be healed. And so if God can take Peter, this, this selfish, prideful, even vulgar fisherman, one who has denied his Lord three times, even with an oath, who in his pride said that he was better than all the rest of the disciples, and then in his moment when he could have stood up for the Lord, failed, if God can lift him up to be not only a disciple, but an apostle, the leader of the church in Rome, one of the great pillars of the church for all of antiquity, someone who has written one of the gospels, the gospel of Mark itself. If God can do that for him, what can he do for you and me? You see, just as God had big plans for Peter, he has big plans for you. But you know what? You might need to let go of a few things along the way. Maybe some regret. Maybe some pride. Know that failure is certain. We're all going to make mistakes. But grace is always available, and not only that, restoration 
is not just possible, but it is what we expect here in the church where God will take sinners like us and he will restore us to do great things for him. And think of those lambs and those sheep that you might lead or serve as they grow in their maturity and faithfulness as well. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's all rise now as we